Tonight on the In All Kinds Weather Forecast, we recap the stunning loss in the Swamp this past Saturday as the Gators fall to the Arkansas Razorbacks. We recap the game, we talk about the Gator Good Foundation, and then we talk about the future of the Billy Napier tenure as we know it. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. Welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Today is November 5th, 2023, here in the heart of Gator Nation. The darkest hour is always right before the dawn, but right now we have no idea just how dark it may really be with the Gators losing in stunning fashion, 39-36 to to the Arkansas Razorbacks at home in overtime dropping the Billy Napier tenure to 11 and 11 through 22 games and leaving the Gators wondering where they will get that sixth win to get to bull eligibility with three ranked opponents ahead on the schedule. Before we get to all of that tonight and talking about the future of the Gator program and recapping the Arkansas game, we do want to talk about some really good that was done this week, though in partnership with in all kinds of weather here. And that is the Gator Good Foundation for the sixth time sent one lucky Gator fan to the swamp for their first Gator game. Tyson Wills, a 30-year veteran for the United States military, was the lucky participant. I had an opportunity to meet him and interact with him and Neil this week at the at the Florida Victorious tailgate. It was great to meet Tyson and his whole family. Neil, just kind of fill the fans in really quick on what that was like to host Tyson and just the experience he had. He seemed pretty in good spirits regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I mean, we talk about a football team. We talk about baseball and basketball and softball when it's those seasons. Ultimately, though, as Billy Napier says, it, it is about people. Um, I mean, we can we can have the discussion as to how happy we are with him in a minute. But regardless of how his tenure is going to wind up playing out, I'm always going to remember that and take that to heart. Uh, football is about people. Business is about people. And getting to run or getting to co-run this business with four other amazing people, Jen, Taylor, Anthony and Matt has given it's it's put people in position to have the most amazing experiences of their lives. And the way I know that that's true is because Tyson after the game was so in heaven that he said, look, despite the result, this is the happiest day of my life since my last child was born. And you, you just can't, you just can't compare that to anything else. And that's what Billy Napier means when he says that it's about people. It's about, for me personally, it's about the people I've met. It's about my ability to meet Tyson as well as, the candidates of the last few years, um, Alec and Bennett last year, two years ago, Ontario Jones, um, 2020, the, the the virtual campaign, Zachary London, great kid there, 2019, uh, Austin Nevis, 2018, Kentavian Walker, aka Scoot, getting to meet them, interact with them, for them, getting to see them interact with their favorite players, just awesome. I mean, going back to 2018 and 19, when they um, were, were graciously given the time of Van Jefferson, who was awesome to them, um, receiver for the Gators in those years. He just made all the efforts he could to make their day, signing stuff for them, taking pictures, all that. And then seeing that continue through the years as the players' names change, uh, the coaching staff obviously has changed since we started this foundation. 
but the love that that these players show um, to our candidates, to our recipients is just something that's incredible. And it, and it really does speak to the fact that, you know, these are people with hearts that are behind those jerseys. These are people with hearts in the stands rooting for the Gators. Um, and so it is a bit of a humbling reminder that, you know what, the loss sucked. It was just awful. And we'll talk about that plenty, but it's just not the most important thing that there is out there. So we're going to talk about it. That's our job. I mean, Chris, you, you know, you and I are not the co-hosts of a, uh, 501c3 nonprofit podcast, like, you know, or YouTube show, we talk about sports. So we're going to talk about that. But whatever else we say on this pod, whatever else we say in the future, it's just not the most important thing. Sports are secondary. They introduce you to some really great people. And through that, you can get to have these pathways to these more amazing things. But sports are secondary. There's always something more than just wins and losses. And that really did hit home for me. I I sent Dyson a message after the game, kind of saying how great it was to meet him and his family, just thanking him for his service and and just being there. And I think he really put back in perspective for me, and I think a lot of us, is that Gator Nation, the Florida Gator football program, despite wins and losses, is a really special place. There's a lot of magic to it. Even like I caught myself on Saturday as we were swinging and uh, singing and swaying to We Are the Boys after the third quarter. And just a picturesque day yesterday in Gainesville, you know, blue sky, sun, the weather was incredible. And I'm just like, there aren't a lot of places like this in college football. Like it's a special place. And, you know, thinking about Tyson and what that experiencing, having him see that for the first time really hit it home for me. And no matter what happens this season, no matter what happens in the ability of your tenure, no matter what happens in the next 10 years of the Florida Gators football program, it's a special place regardless. And I think fans should continue to support fantastic causes like the good Gator Good Foundation as a result and continue to support the Gator football program and its athletic program to give fans these opportunities, these life-changing experiences. And for, for anything else, life-changing experience for yourself too to continue to support just something that means so much to us, those that are alumni and that gave years to this institution and, and continue to do so afterward or just lifelong fans like yourself, Neil, it just, it means more. And it was able to really see that through the eyes of somebody for the first time in Tyson, you felt like a kid again on Saturday. You did, that's a great way to put it. He, he, and I'll tell you, he looked like a kid again. He was so happy singing Tom Petty won't back down, just gator chomping, screaming, he looked like even the way he was enjoying his burger from the concessions, he just looked like a kid again. And unfortunately his phone died. He, he may have bricked it actually. Um, but we're, we, we Gator good foundation, uh, is, is, is trying to recover a lot of great content that was shot on his phone. He went um, into selfie mode, like live streaming everything. He got to go on the field after the game, met Ricky Pearsall, Graham Mertz, Trey Wilson, um, ETN, We'll do what we can to get that content up there as soon as we can, because it was from, from, from the way he was acting, even after the game, even after the loss, he was just an absolute heaven. Um, I mean, for those of you who don't know the very, very quick synopsis of this story, you can listen to our last episode to hear more, but very quickly, he was a 30 year air force vet in the United States air force. He has served in Korea. He has served in Guam. He has served in Turkey. He served in Alabama. He served in South Carolina. He served across the the world in all different time zones. He always makes sure to get up and watch the Gators play, whether that's 3.30 a.m. local time, 7.30 a.m. local time, midnight local time, doesn't matter to him. He will. He has always <clears throat> made sure 
to watch his Gators. And we wanted to reward him for his 30 years of service by bringing him to the swamp. Actually, Chris, it's sadder now even, but it wasn't actually his first time. His first time was in 2020 against LSU. And we all know how that went. So we were trying to right that wrong. And instead we compounded it by giving him the opportunity to watch another loss. But he was, I mean, again, it, it was like, it, it, it just, it, it wasn't the same thing, obviously in 2020, we wanted to bring him to a packed swamp, you know, won't back down is a, is a much bigger thing now with all the lights, even in the daytime, everyone's swaying. And it's, it's just more, it, he didn't really get the Gator football experience. So we wanted to bring him to his first ever true gator football experience the way it's supposed to be and hopefully we'll get him to um well, hopefully he'll get to see a win at some point next year because he does live fairly close to gainesville now well certainly tyson thank you again for your service thank you once again gator good foundation we will continue to support it here at the in all kinds of weather forecast and we ask our fans and supporters to continue to do the same as we look for that campaign next year whenever that announcement comes and we'll continue to drop those announcements as the year goes by. Well, unfortunately that is probably the good news we will have for today. We now move into the segment of the program where we recap the Arkansas Razorbacks game as once again, the Gators fall 39 36 to the Arkansas Razorbacks in overtime at the swamp. Arkansas coming into this game was two and six. They were a three point underdog at kickoff. We talked about the talent disparity going into this game. Florida, the 15th rated composite team. Arkansas at 32, similar to where Kentucky was. And that once again did not matter. The Gators looked overmatched at times on defense, giving up 480 plus yards on the ground. And, you know, 25 of those came in overtime. The majority of them obviously came in regulation. It was an embarrassing, embarrassing performance. Neil, the keys to the game going in, you said you wanted a good offensive line performance by the Florida Gators. And unfortunately, I can't really say that it was that. Florida did not necessarily run the football uh, that well in this game. And they, they, were, they were stymied at times. They only had 112 yards on the ground, not going to get it done against an SEC team, especially like Arkansas, who had been struggling all year against the run. My key to the game was actually I want three or more stacks, and I wanted Princely Umin Yilin to have a money game. Well, Princely Umin Yilin actually had two sacks and two tackles for losses. Florida had a season-high five sacks. It did not matter, and that is because Florida gave up massive plays to Arkansas's offense, including major runs late in the game by KJ Jefferson, which ultimately was the difference against his defense, giving up over 480 yards. The game started in a really bad fashion, of course. Florida found themselves down 14-0 very quickly. Arkansas goes down the length of the field in the opening drive, scores a touchdown. And on the first offensive play for the Gators, Ricky Pearsall is stripped, and it is scored by Arkansas. Florida didn't panic, and that was good to see at least. And you, I think you felt that. There was a sense that, okay, we're down 14-0, but we're going to come back here. And Florida who didn't even look at Eugene Wilson through the first several minutes of the game, finally starts going to him. And he gets two touchdowns on two possessions, and the Gators tie the game up. He finished the day with eight catches, 90 yards, two touchdowns, the leading receiver on the day. It is evidently clear that Eugene Trey Wilson is on his way to becoming the next great Florida Gator here. 
And we're very lucky to have them because who knows where Florida would be without him in this offense. The Gators then traded field goals with Arkansas before they did take the lead. And that is where the first special teams miscue of the day took place. A botched snap resulted in a missed extra point. And then that obviously changed the complexion and the trajectory of the game from there. Florida could have been up by four points and instead was only up by three. Florida did drive down the field. They did take the lead on the 26-23 after being forced to kick a field goal. There was definitely, I think, a missed deep defensive pass interference call, which could have extended the drive and maybe Florida scores a touchdown there. We're not going to get into the officiating. The officiating didn't is not the reason why Florida lost this game, but that did happen at that point. Let's just point this out really quickly. Arkansas, we're even for 2009, okay? <laughs> you guys got hosed in the swamp in 2009. We got hosed in 2023 in the swamp. We're even. Yeah, well, I guess we'd rather have won that one than this one. That season, there was a little bit more riding on the line. Uh, we were going for an undefeated season, national championship. Certainly not the case here. Florida, from that point on, though, it was 26-23. to 23. Arkansas was able to take the lead. And, you know, I, I said it at the time, you know, Trevor Etienne had, going into that final drive had 10 carries for 50 yards. Montreal Johnson, 12 for 35. It was clear who the better running back was, but he was not getting the touches. Well, in two plays, Trevor Etienne took it to the house and it won a 41-yard screen pass and then the next a 27-plus yard run that put the Gators in front. And we thought for good, Arkansas, though, goes down, ties the game, and that sets up an opportunity for the Gators with 44 seconds to go win the game, which they successfully did an excellent two-minute drive there. Graham Mertz was actually very good late in this game. I wouldn't say it was one of his better games, but he did finish the day 26-42, 282 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and he executed a perfectly well-done drive to get Florida in position to win the game, completed a 20-yard pass to Arliss Boardingham that set the Gators up for what would have been a 38-yard field goal until disaster struck. We'll get into this, the, that play and that moment in a second here after this recap, but Florida, some players on the sideline thought we were running on to kick a field goal, whereas we had plenty of time to actually get down the field, down the ball. That led to an illegal substitution, which back Florida up five yards, made it a 43-yard field goal, so no longer a chip shot, so it had been longer than 40. And unfortunately, Trace Mack missed his first true extra or field goal for the season. He had one blocked against South Carolina. That was not his fault. This one was, unfortunately, a miss on him, and it came at a very bad time that make would have won the game for the Gators and sent them bowling. But we all know what happened after that. The Gators then fall in overtime, 39-36. to 36. Florida gets a field goal in their first possession. Arkansas goes and scores in three plays. Neil, crushing loss, to say the least. Crushing loss, and air has gone out of the balloon on the program and maybe for the season. And I I don't want to speak in hyperbolic terms, but we said the significance of this game going in was that we had to win to really increase our chances for bowl eligibility. Florida is not going to be favored in the last three games of the season. Their chances to win each of those games is not very good. According to ESPN FBI, also according to Dustin's model, it's it's not looking good for the Gators to make bowl eligibility. And what this now means is that Billy Napier is staring down the barrel, having finished six and seven last year, of going five and seven this year. 
I, I don't, I think we're at a loss for words. I think a lot of fans are, are looking and searching for answers and wondering where we go from here. I guess I'll give you the floor of just your instant reaction here. And then we'll get into some of the, the, the special teams and coaching miscues. That, that's going to be a segment tonight here. And that's going to be the subject of the game, because I think a lot of people really believe, look, the offense scored 36 points. They put them in a position to win and the defense got five sacks. There were some times when they were getting stops. It didn't look, obviously they gave up a lot of yardage here, but the players played hard. They had a chance to win this game. It feels like the coaching truly lost this game. It feels like the coaching staff let this team down. And that's, and it's, it's incredibly unfortunate. And I'll say one more thing. I know this is kind of a long opening for, for me of the monologue and the recap, but I think as a fan, I'm really tired of the self-inflicted wounds caused by our coaching staff. We have great players on our team. We are more talented than Kentucky. We're more talented than Arkansas. We're more talented than Utah. And we lost all three of those games. And a lot of times we just looked ill-prepared. I would say at least two of them. This one and the Utah game, the Kentucky game, I would put that more on the players. that They just didn't look like they were ready to go. But why isn't a guy like Trevor Etienne getting 20 carries a game when he's clearly the best running back on the team? Or why is Trey Wilson not getting a touch until late in the first quarter? And when he does, he scores not one, but two touchdowns. Why do we still have personnel issues with special teams? We had another field goal block where we had 10 guys out there. It's game nine. It's game nine. Of year two. Why, why is that happening? That shouldn't happen. I mean, you want to go, you want to have this we game, have, Chris. We, we, can, we, we, have, can, we can go all day on this. Hold on. Well, I'm not done yet. We have... We have a player literally controlling personnel late game decisions. Those aren't my words. That's Billy Napier's words in the press conference after the game. He said a player was signaling in guys for special teams. That's not their responsibility. We're letting a player signal in players, their teammates. That's a coach's job. Like, what are we doing here? You have, a, you have how many assistants on the field? You have an army that you hired when you came here. Why are they making that? In, in the most critical part of a game. And why are we burning timeouts and not getting play signaled in on time? We had two timeouts in that game that were we did not get the play signaled in its time. And Gray Mertz has got his arms up in the air like, what's going on? Why isn't the play in yet? Let's go. And we all know how long it takes to snap a damn ball because we have so much damn motion before it gets snapped. Did I miss anything? I'm pissed. I'm just pissed. I'm, I'm second half timeouts, by the way, not first half timeouts where you could maybe make an argument for it, but second half timeouts, which I think, as you said before the FSU game last year, well, well uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said it was liquid gold. That's how valuable they are in the second half, especially yeah. in a tight game. Well, here, all right, my turn. I said after last year, after the FSU game. I like Billy Napier a lot. I think it's very, very possible he can be a successful coach for the Florida Gators. He needs to make changes this offseason. He needs to get rid of the, of the, what is he, a quality control assistant, I think is the official term for what Chris couches. He needs that. No, enough of that. That's got to stop. And he needs to hire a true offensive coordinator because going 
out and throwing the ball all over the yard in the second half, when you're down to Ricky Pearsall and a skeleton crew of scout wide receivers is not conducive to throwing the ball. That alone should have been grounds for firing yourself as the play caller and offensive coordinator and making changes in the offseason before 2023. He did neither of those two things. I wasn't even that mad with the offensive line last year because, again, you had Osiris Torrance, who's an All-American. You had barely decent play across the line. So I wasn't even mad at that. But I said, you need to hire a special teams coach, a real one, and you need to hire an offensive coordinator, a real one there too, not Rob Sale masquerading in that role, a real bona fide offensive coordinator. He did neither of those things. So then I said, I said this in the state of the program address too with the high top boys. I said, okay, Billy, maybe you're right and maybe I'm wrong, but you better be right. Because if you're wrong, and these two issues continue happening. We continue with the special team screw-ups this year. We continue with the play-calling ineptitude this year. It's your fault. You will be held accountable for this. Your leash will be the one that grows shorter. And frankly, you will be the one who bears the brunt of the blame. Because guess what, Billy? Florida is in a position now where, keep it respectful, but keep it real, we're probably not going to a bowl game this year. That means we got worse from year one to year two going five and seven in year one and six and six in year two would be bad, but you could at least go, well, all right, they got better. They got a game better. The record went from five and seven to six and six. It's slow, but it is some improvement. No, you're getting worse. And here is where it's instructive to bring in the Mike Norvell comparisons that all the be patient fans keep throwing out there. Yes. Mike Norvell is now looking like a great hire at FSU because Year one was terrible. It was the COVID year. They went three and six. Year two, they were bad. A lot like Florida is bad, but with one major, major difference. FSU started that year 0-4 with a bad loss to Jacksonville State and a, a close loss to Notre Dame, but then two other bad losses um, to very mediocre teams, including a Louisville team that was really ugh, not great. They got better. As the year went on, they got better. They went five and three in their final eight, and they damn near made a bowl game. They came very close to beating Florida in the swamp that year to go six and two in their final eight and go to a bowl game, which after starting 0-4 is almost impossible to do. They were that close. And then in year three, they kept getting better. There was the three-game skid midseason, but they went 10 and three. And now this year, they are as logical of a national championship pick as any right now. So if you're going to throw out the Mike Norvell comparisons, you better have an explanation, a damn good one for why Florida gets worse from week to week. Utah was bad. Things got a little bit better after that. The next three games were for the most part, good Charlotte. The offense didn't do much, but the defense was good. We found our kicker. You could say, okay, the offense took the night off, but whatever. Program's headed in the right direction after that win against Tennessee. And then things have just regressed and regressed and regressed and regressed and regressed. And now, if you're going to keep preaching patience, you have to answer for that. Because Florida right now is in a position where, as we said, they're in danger of not making a bowl game this year. And have you looked at the schedule next year? Those who are clamoring for patience because it's possible we don't make a bowl game again next year, too. I looked at it today and I was going through the scenarios in my head. Uh, right now, I would say realistically five, six wins. Five, and that's six. why 
And that's why I said before this pot, before this game, I said, Billy, there are two games in the schedule. You, you have to win Arkansas this week and Miami on August 31st. Well, he lost the first one. So now you, you lose both of those inflection point games. He's not going to survive. He, he will not make it here. Be- and it's not even because of the, uh, of the emotional knee jerk reaction that fans are going to probably accuse me of, of losing to Miami because everyone knows I hate Miami. I, I love going to you down. Everyone knows that I, I, I can't stand them. It has nothing to do with that. It's because going 0-1 with the schedule that lies ahead of you, you're screwed. You still have to go to Texas, to Tennessee, to FSU, Georgia, in Jacksonville, LSU, more talented than you, AM, more talented than you, an Ole Miss team that's ranked in the top 10 of the CFP, and your easy game, your breather, is a Kentucky team that has kicked your ass three years in a row now. That's your breather. Oh, and a Mississippi State team on the road where – yeah, Florida has won the last two times, but historically has been a house of horrors for the Gators. In fact, that venue was what got one of our previous coaches fired. Ron Zook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the schedule and the dates of that have not been released yet, but it's going to be a gauntlet in more so than what we said this year. We said this year was a gauntlet and next year it's, it's going through straight hell. It's going through straight hell and I don't know if unless Billy Napier can find a way to get to a bowl game this year, I'm looking at the scenario of if his record's worse at this point next year, I don't see him getting past year three. I, I And I'm not saying that I'm like advocating to fire a coach within three years again, because listen, and we need to have this other side of the conversation. And, we're, and I think Neil and I, I think we both fall on the same thing here right now going into Arkansas. We felt that Napier could be the guy we felt that he needed to get this win, get bull eligibility, get the recruiting class in, and we were going to be fine. Like we'll move forward. And eventually once he gets his guys in here, he gets an offensive coordinator in. things will start getting better. Now let's say we lose out. We're five and seven. We start next year. God forbid you lose to Miami who by the way, lost to NC state last night. Their rebuild in the ACC isn't going that well right now, but still, and then you lose some other games in that SEC gauntlet that we just talked about. I don't know how he can survive that from the boosters who are putting a lot of money and effort in now too. There has not been a head coach in the last decade plus that has gotten the resources, the financial support and the backing from the boosters, the administration and Billy Napier. And all of that goodwill is going to go away. If you do not start producing wins for your shareholders You have to win games. You know, when we're looking across the country in the landscape and you see teams that have taken, you see coaches that have taken over programs that honestly were in no better shape than what Florida was in when Billy Napier took over it. Josh Hapel at Tennessee, year three, he's seven and two. He's got a shot to finish really strong once again. And they got to be kicking themselves right now for losing the game in the swamp because they'd be in the SEC East hunt right now if they hadn't done that. You, I mean, you look at Lincoln Riley. I know that gets one year, and I know he's struggling with defense out there, but he still looks a lot more competent with a program that historically had done nothing in the Pac-12 for almost a decade. You know, look at Deion Sanders. I know he right now is 500, but he's took a one-win team and won four games in the first month of getting there. Imagine when he starts getting real players there. He, by the way, 
made a midseason change with his offensive coordinator when it wasn't working and hired an offensive coordinator who has more credentials, honestly, as a play caller than Billy Napier does. So, look, those are just some cold, hard truths. And this is all to say Napier deserves a lot of criticism. He has fallen short in a lot of places that we did not expect. And I think a lot of that has to do with being a CEO and in-game manager. He's done fantastic with recruiting. And Neil and I graded him out. Remember when we had Ali Peak on at the beginning of the season? Graded him as an A, A plus. Like he is recruiting gangbusters. This is what we need. And he that has not stopped. That has continued since the point of when we say that made that statement to now. But he has to start winning games. Bottom line, this is a bottom line business. Wins and losses. We're almost through year two. He is going to have the worst start to a Gator tenure since Charlie Pell. Since Charlie Pell. Ron Zook was 14 and 8. Dan Mullen, who was fired in year four, 18 and 4. Jim McElwain had a better record at this point. Will Muschamp had a better record at this point. And I understand that those guys took over a much stronger Florida football program. But the reality is you're being compared to your predecessors. You were brought in because your predecessors could not get the job done. You are expected to be better. So moving forward, he has to make massive changes to his staff. Offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator. Getting rid of the two offensive line coach system, bring in one who's going to also recruit better, like we mentioned in the last episode, that we need to get better in offensive line recruiting. Neil, what are some things that he could do to quell the fan base right now, short of getting an upset win, right? I mean, I think that's the only way the fan base comes back down to earth and gets in his corner because Mm – if we're, we're talking about, like, I guess, approval rating of a guy right now, I would say in the last 24 hours, it has plummeted. Like, he is – he probably was, like, 50-50 maybe going into this game. Like, there were 50% of the fan base that was truly with him, like, ride or die. And then there was 50% that was like, eh, you know what? Like, I'm not sure he's the guy. I get the sense that, like, that's plummeted. Like, it's, like, two-thirds now don't believe he's going to get the job done. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, well, so I, I posted a a question on Twitter and, and on Facebook and on Instagram, for that matter, um, saying, and I guess we can answer the question ourselves too, zero is fire him yesterday, 100 is he's the GOAT. Where on that scale are you personally with Billy Napier? And a lot of the responses obviously ranged, as I figured they would, but the the mean the the median cluster seemed to be between that 25 and 50 range across all social platforms across twitter facebook and instagram the the most common response seemed to be between 25 and 50 which uh, 0 to 24 was no i'm done fire him I, I don't i don't trust him 25 to 49 is i don't think so but i'm willing to see more 50 is complete uncertainty 51 to 75 is I think he is the guy, but I still need to see more 76 to hundred is I'm certain he's the guy. The most common response was between 25 and 50. So 
I again, I didn't ask this question before the Arkansas game. I didn't think to. I didn't think it would have to come to this discussion this soon. But I would be willing to bet that you're right, Chris, that there was a lot more support for Billy Napier. That response would have been a lot higher. Um, even after Georgia got through clobbering us, because again, there's a reason Napier was brought in. It's because the talent isn't there. He's kind of, you know, he, he's tasked with overseeing a complete infusion of talent, which by the way, let's, let's have this discussion now. It, it's a, it's a difficult one, but it's one we got to have. How do we know that the recruiting classes that he's bringing in are going to do any good? Because the, the whole, the whole, the whole thought process is more talent, equals more wins billy napier just needs more talent so that he can win more games well in the games that he already has more talent he's not winning vanderbilt last year arkansas this year kentucky the last two years you damn near lost to south florida last year who by the way was a perfect 0-11 against the fbs you almost lost that game you needed them to mess up a routine field goal hold and the kicker still almost made it you were that close to losing that game too. And then there was Charlotte this year where you scored one touchdown against a terrible defense. And now I'm just looking at this recruiting class going, yeah, that's great. And I mean that sincerely, by the way, that's great. But that's great in a way that the next guy will have that much more talent to work with. I don't know that I trust you. I don't know why anyone would. You're not winning when you do have the talent advantage over opponents. You, you probably should have lost to South Carolina. Ricky Pearsall tips that ball in any other direction. That's picked off and you lose that one too. And now you're four and five and bowl eligibility is well gone. So I don't know that I trust you. Now, yes, Billy Napier is probably, I have this on good authority, probably going to make some moves this offseason. But now my question becomes, is he going to make the right moves? Or is he going to hire a yes man? Like someone like a Jeff Scott, who is, yes, a very good recruiter, but his offense is a little too similar to Billy Napier's for me to think that that's going to do any good. I don't want Jeff Scott. I don't care that he's a great recruiter. I want someone who can oversee the offense and have it be something very different than the muckery that we've made of this year's offense, where you piss away two timeouts in the fourth quarter because you can't get your play call in and your your rule your capital law that you have to have a man in motion on every damn snap is killing more time in a close game where you're going to need that time and you're going to need those timeouts look how strong we were in tempo at the end of that game we were in they went down the field multiple times when they went into tempo when the game was on the line imagine if they did that for an entire 60 minutes I truly believe that it would start to stretch defenses and Florida would yield better results in the offensive game plan. And look, for whoever comes in and is the offensive core, let's, let's just assume for a moment, we do get an offensive coordinator. They're going to inherit some decent talent. Like there's a good chance Graham Mertz is back next year as your quarterback. You're going to have an incoming freshman, DJ Lagway, five-star quarterback. You're going to have Eugene Trey Wilson. You're going to have Trevor Etienne. You're going to have, Aiden Mizell, who was a top former top 100 wide receiver, who hopefully makes a jump. Andy Jean. I don't know if you saw the tape of Dre Hawkins over the weekend, but that guy can fly. Balled out. You know, like CJ Abrams. Yeah. I mean, there is speed in space coming to Gainesville or is already in Gainesville. There is so much more we could be doing with this 
personnel and we're just not doing it right now. And I agree. It's, if we're going to hire somebody, it has to be someone that's going to spread the field out, use every inch of grass and get the ball to your playmakers consistently and have the playmakers, the guys who are consistently making the plays be the ones on the field. Look, I, I think Montreal Johnson is a solid running back. But he should not be the starter. And I get there's loyalty there. He was at University of Louisiana. He is a good running back in the SEC. He's not better than Trevor Etienne. And he also is not a better pass catcher. He dropped a touchdown in the game, early in the game. Once again, if that's Trevor Etienne, it's probably a touchdown. Montreal is a power back. He's who I want on short yarded situations or a change of pace back when Trevor needs, needs a breath on the sideline. And he's also better in pass protection in, in his defense. Correct. And then I think that's why the argument fans have been making to, to me and others is that that's why Trevor isn't playing as much as because he's bad in pass, bro. Well, I got news for you. At the end of the day, it's about getting the ball down the field and whoever's helping you get the ball down the field consistently should be the one playing. And, you know, look, I get it. That's something that he's going to have to work on this off season. And I hope coach Jaluk and the staff work with him on that. But He's getting, I mean, when you take the ball down in two plays and score in a two-minute situation, enough said. He was averaging over five yards of carry. Wasn't getting the ball enough. Just wasn't getting the ball enough. And it's unfortunate. So, like, that that's, that's something that the coaching staff is going to have to also realize is you have to be hands-off and let whoever comes in run this offense. And I agree. I'm a little worried that Napier is going to be a little hands-on. I don't have a problem with him in a game in this scenario where he's given the play calling duties to somebody else saying, hey, you know what? This is the look I'm seeing. I'm the head coach. Let's call this play one time here. Urban Myers did it all the time with Dan Mulder. Right. Here and there. Here and there. Sporadically. Right. Yes. Not, not take over the playbook. Whoever inherits and takes over the headset to call plays next season here at the University of Florida better have 98% of the play calls in their arsenal to use this personnel how they see fit. Full stop. That's what's got to happen. And if it if that doesn't happen, bookmark this, screen record this, write it down. He will lose his job. His tenure at Florida will ultimately conclude with his firing. So, yeah, that's the stakes with Billy Napier, right? He's got to make changes in order for something to happen. Otherwise, he's going to lose his job. And we obviously are rooting for him. We want Napier to succeed. We like Billy Napier a lot. And to be honest, Neil, I think he's a great CEO. I, I really, I do think he has, he is good at organizing things. Like say, for example, this whole wearing the, the black uniforms and saluting those who serve. There was a large faction of the fan base, me included, who are very traditionalist in nature with uniforms. Don't want to see, didn't want to see that. But the way he was able to sell the fan base on that was like, okay, you know what? We're going to salute military and first responders. And with that, you basically got 100% buy-in because everybody was in agreement. Like, yeah, I'm going to get behind supporting our first responders. I'm going to get behind supporting military. That's something a CEO level thinker does. He's a great recruiter. He's got also the players to buy into, I think, a good culture and the way of doing things to respect people. People matter. Those are the things that he's building a strong foundation for the future. But if the wins don't come and he's not successful in assembling an army, a staff that can actually help him win games on Saturday, he's doing himself a disservice. And, and, I've, and I've said this time and time again, 
He's got too much on his plate. He is spreading himself too thin. He's the head coach. He's a recruiter. He's a CEO. He's got to be a game manager on the, on the sidelines. He's got to call plays. He's got to coach quarterbacks. Like, dude, you've got too much on your plate. Delegate. Great leaders delegate. This is an opportunity for him to delegate play calling. Give it to somebody else. You got your head coaching job because you were a solid offense coordinator a great recruiter and somebody who was known for organizing. Okay. That part, that chapter of your professional life is over. It's time to move on to the next chapter, which is you are a CEO of a fortune 500 company. And in this case, a top flight program in the Southeastern conference. So that means you've got to delegate former responsibilities when you were basically, let's say an executive vice president in this, right? You're a C, you were a COO and executive vice president. You were looking over something else, play calling. It's time to delegate that to a new executive vice president, another COO that you bring into the company. And that's your offensive coordinator or a special teams coordinator for that matter too, because you need one of those. There's going to have to be large restructuring of the staff. And I think when he does that, it is going to allow him to spend more time on recruiting. It's going to allow him to spend more time being able to focus on game management and not having timeout mismanagement at the end of the game that costs you precious time and plays and games. I think he'll be a lot more focused on the things that matter when his plate is more clear and given to other people. And it also insulates him from the added pressure of calling plays. And on that note, I mean, I, I don't think that there are a lot of people aside from the overly negative ones who just maybe don't have all their gears turning right in their heads. But for the most part, I don't think there was anyone who wants to see Billy Napier fail. Like even those who didn't have him high on their list of guys to replace Dan Mullen. I think for the most part, once he came in, people heard him talk, people learned about his background. They went, okay, you know what? I want this guy to be the guy in, in large part because we're tired of firing coaches every three to four seasons, but also because they like him as a person. They like his background. They think he does have what it takes we're rooting for you, Billy. We want to see you succeed. Okay. I speak for myself. I speak for Chris. I speak for Dustin. I I speak for probably, I would wager 95% of the fan base in saying that. I want you to be the guy. I don't want to have to pay that massive buyout. I don't want to have to go through another coaching search, which would be the fifth one since 2011. And I don't want to have to go through the the complete implosion on the recruiting trail that always comes with firing a head coach. But here's the thing, Chris, you and I today, we're pissed. We're angry. You know what comes next after angry? It, it doesn't, I'll give you a hint. It doesn't follow the standard Kubler Ross model. We, we don't, we don't go through the five stages of grief with football. We go confusion. Like how did we lose that game? That's that's a head scratcher. Oh, but he's building it. Then step two is anger. We're pissed. You know what comes next? Apathy and sadness in, in the past tense. Sadness in the past tense. Like, I really wish it could have worked out. I wished that you were the guy. I really liked Napier, but this is done. This is over. That's what comes next, Billy. You're 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 very close to that because. We said all this stuff about what you had to do last year. And yes, I understand we're just a couple of quote unquote couch tweeters, as Edgar Thompson would put it. We're fans. 
we're, we're that hybrid between fan and media. That's how I like to put it. We have, we have elements of both to what we do, but if we can see it and if a lot of other fans can see it and you don't do it and you want to do the Dan Mullen thing where you think, you know, better than everybody else. We'll talk about that in a minute too, by the way, at, at your press conference, that, that, that abject douchery you displayed to Nick Dillatore. We'll talk about that in a minute, but if you want to do that, where you act like you know better than everyone else in the fan base and you're wrong, it makes it that much harder to defend you. And again, we want to defend you. I want to defend you. Chris wants to defend you. And a lot of other people do. I'm sure that the boosters who shelled out a lot of their hard-earned money to give you what you asked for want to keep defending you, but they need data. They need evidence that this thing is headed in the right direction. They need some proof of a return on their investment. And in the Boosters case, it is quite a big one. Hugh Hathcock, the the Gary Condrens of the world, they have written some pretty big checks for you. And you got to start giving them some ROI here, dude. You got to start giving them some ROI. Like Chris said, it's a bottom line business. And the bottom line is if enough people go from the anger phase to the sadness in the past tense and the apathy phase, it's over because the boosters are the ones who, who fund you. The boosters are the ones who keep this program afloat. And if you lose them, if they cross that Rubicon from anger to sadness, you're done. And the other thing too, is we have a new university president. That's true. That's it. That's it. That's a, and possibly another- a new AD someday too, too. Yeah, and I'm not going to entertain that. I, you know, I know people have their thoughts on Strickland, and, and we're going to keep those private at this time here on this podcast. But I think that you look at with a new university president, that is a major dynamic. And a university president who's young, who has shown his affinity for football and athletics at previous places and here at the University of Florida since coming here. I mean, he's at every football game. Hell, he's going up and down the bleachers selling uh, lemonade, okay? Like, he loves it, and he wants to be there with the fans, and he understands that this fan base loves their football. He came from Nebraska. Like, that's it doesn't get much more passionate than that right there. Those fans still sell out the stadium, even though they haven't won a national championship uh, since the 90s. Haven't been even respectable since then. Right. So he gets that. And I think with that now comes, okay, if he gets the sense of apathy starting to creep in, he's going to do something about it. He's already got a university that's a top five public institution, number one on some other list. You know what? That's great. Everybody should be really satisfied with that. But you know what? You need to be great in your top sports. And right now, Football and basketball aren't there. The jury is certainly still out coming up here year two with Todd Golden. But football right now is floundering. And if he continues to see that trend, I am willing to bet that President Sass will do something about it because that cannot continue on if 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 uh, we want to be good. We just we have to do something about it. And I think President Sass will do something about it. I think you're right. And look, I didn't, I didn't want to open up the, the Scott Strickland can of worms. That's a whole different debate for a whole different day. But I'll say this. I think that Strickland knows that if he missed on Napier, it's going to be the last coach he hires at the University of Florida. So there is some pressure there, too. And it wouldn't stun me if Strickland is the one who suddenly changes modes 
and goes up to Napier and demands something from him because if he fears if he doesn't, he'll go down with him. So I think that there are multiple different channels that the the forcing of the change could possibly come from, whether it's Napier meeting with the big boosters like the Hathcocks or the Condrens, or if it's the university president, or if it's Strickland who feels heat on his own seat. I just have a, or, I mean, look, Napier can't possibly be this stupid. Like he knows that something has to change. He can't possibly think that everything is okay. And there are no changes needed. He's going to make a move this off season. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that that's going to come, but again, it has to be the right one. You, it can't be a situation where like, it's a one question test, a multiple choice test. There are two boxes. Yes. And no. Did you make changes and him hiring someone just so he can check the yes box and, th- and say, technically I made changes, even though you really didn't, but you did in the, in the literal sense. No, you need to go get someone like a Ryan Grubb, like a Ben Arbuckle, someone who does something different than what you do, because Chris, you, let's, let's keep it real. It sucks. The product sucks right now. The offensive ineptitude that we see, yes, the yards per game numbers actually aren't that bad, but the incompetence that we see with some personnel decisions, the offensive line taking a massive step back from last year to this year. Yes, I know Cyrus Torrance was a once in a lifetime guy, but those misses in the portal, maybe another offensive coordinator could have helped you identify some more talent from another place where he used to recruit those other guys and vouch for them, maybe that could have helped you out. Maybe the play calling of running dive plays at the middle, very Steve Adazio-esque, by the way. Nice 2010 memories being conjured up in my head. But again, doing those dive plays with an ETN on some of the few times you do choose to hand him the ball, burning those timeouts, like stuff like that. You, you have to watch that tape and know that something isn't right there. So let's just see what happens. But long story short, Chris, I think this leads us into the last uh, the, the last real Napier-related conversation with the future. What do you think his seat's at? Because I've given my thoughts, but for you personally, like, are you at the the zero on that zero to 100 scale? Are you on the 40? Are you on the 20 set? Like, where in that zero to 100 scale that I laid out a little while ago are you? I think going into the game, I was strongly in, like, the 70s. Now I'm in the, I'd say 49, 50. I have my doubts. I have my doubts that he's he can get it done. And you have to. That's really just because I I think I've seen too many data points now where he's losing to too many inferior opponents. Like if I were, to, I'm going to put myself in like I look at another program shoes. Like I'm looking at Miami right now. Like they hired the same, they hired a coach the same year, same time, going through a similar rebuild there's a lot of data points that indicate Mario Cristobal is not the guy either. He's losing to teams. He shouldn't lose to there. And there's ineptitude there. Like the not taking a knee to end the game, you know, I'm seeing some of the same. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to look at it. I have to look at it with all my orange and blue glasses on. And the fact that I do want Napier to succeed, the fact that I do like him as a person, I take that away for a second and just look at it objectively and right now, I, I just I have my doubts. He has really, I think, with this game, it just it has broken 
uh, my trust a little bit to say the least. And it's incredible. It, I mean, it's incredible that one kick, what one kick can do to the way we view things. I mean, let's think back to the LSU shoe game. If Evan McPherson makes that kick, maybe Florida wins in overtime and we're having a different conversation about Dan Mullen in that game in that season. If Tracy Mack makes that kick on Saturday, like he's done all year long, what conversation are we having here tonight? I think the conversation is probably we're going to give special teams really bad grade. We're going to give coaching a bad grade, but we're going to be like, you know what? Got the job done. Needed to get that bowl game. We did it. You know, we move forward progress, right? Slight progress, but progress. And because he missed that kick, we're just having a completely different conversation. So I think it, it, it just opens up the real glaring issues that are going on and that their massive changes have to be made this off season and the right changes have to be made because the off this off season for Billy Napier will define him in his tenure here at UF. If he makes the right moves and Florida vastly improves next year, beats a lot of the teams on our schedule. We start becoming contenders in the sec again. We'll look back and say, wow, you know, this was a turning point. Maybe we needed to have setbacks like this in the first two years to get the point across. But if it's a situation where he doesn't and he hires his friends or he hires similar scheme or he doesn't let full control be taken, then I think we're going to look back and say, you know what? It's a shame that the guy who had a lot of organization, a big plan, waited for this job, failed because he just couldn't get out of his own way and put too much on his plate. And I think that's a lesson for everybody out there is that you kind of, you just have to, you have to trust other people. At the end of the day, you have to trust other people. You have to delegate and you have to have surround yourself with the right people in order for the organization to get to where it wants to go. And I really am rooting for Napier, but right now that that I think my trust was broken on Saturday. It felt like that. That's a fair assessment. I think that personally, I was probably at about a 60. I was definitely closer to um, 100 than to zero. But that loss shattered the trust. And it's not even because of anything new. It's because, as as Lincoln Riley just showed us, he talked a moment ago about his struggles with defense. He fired Alex Grinch late in the year, in November. You are indeed allowed to make changes on your staff in the middle of the year. Arkansas, Dan Mullen did that just beat us. Well, I mean, he was forced to. Did it too late, but he did it. You know, he did something. But Sam Pittman, the team we just played, did it. Firing Dan Enos because their offense was terrible. And he gives the reins to Kenny Guyton on an interim basis, their 32-year-old receivers coach, who promptly drops 500 yards of offense on Florida. You are allowed to make changes in the middle of the season. And this, to me, says that Napier is, is apt to waiting until it's too late, until he's absolutely forced to make a change to do it. That's Mullen-esque. That is exactly why we fired Dan Mullen. It's because he couldn't see it on his own and do something about it. By the way, again, after Georgia blew us out, the East was gone. Probably a New Year's Six ball was gone too. But you still had a reasonable chance to go eight and four in those last five games. You had a lot to play for in the last four games. You had a lot to play for. 
in those last four games. Could have shown a lot of improvement, a lot of momentum, given yourself a real boost on the recruiting trail. Hey, guys, you see that November we just had? Yeah, we're building something. Jordan Seaton, Jeremiah Smith, Chance Robinson, etc. We want you to come be a part of this. Uh, Charles Lester, come, come over here. Come be a part of this with us. See what we just did there? Nope, gone. Because Napier just couldn't bring himself to un-F up the situation he initially effed up last offseason by failing, or should I say refusing, to fire his his two offensive line coach approach. I don't even know if I can say that's firing. It's just you got to restructure the staff. Um, and I don't even know that I want to say fire Chris Couch because, again, that's a that's an intern. You're, you're hiring an intern who graduated from college with an accounting degree to be of the fortune 500 company of the years, chief public accountant, certified public accountant, CPA. You can't do that in business. You got to be kidding me. Like you got to know these things and you got to know them before other people scream them into your ear. So in that sense, this game shattered my trust because it was another example of special teams calamities for Florida that Napier allowed to happen by a not firing or not rest- I shouldn't say firing. Cause again, it's not a matter of firing a, an intern, but for not restructuring the staff and giving yourself a real special teams coach and then not doing it as the issue persisted week after week, game after game throughout the course of this season. So now I don't even know if I can trust him. Yep. It's, it's a shame we're here. We didn't want to have this conversation that we were hoping that we'd be recapping a victory. We expected it. We both predicted Florida would win a close game. We said this was going to be uh, a scary game, as Neil put it. And Florida, he, your predict, Neil's prediction of getting a late game touchdown to win was almost correct had we held on there at the end and not given up the, the tiny field goal and or gotten the game-winning field goal at the end. So a shame we're here. A shame we had to really center our show around the future of our second-year head coach who hasn't even completed his second year with a lot of doubt in mind and where we go. And now, what lies ahead? LSU on the road. Missouri on the road. Florida State. Now ACC championship game is clinched for them. Top four team in the college football playoff comes to Gainesville. 9-0 at this present time. It's Florida has a brutal schedule to finish the season. They may be getting some help with LSU, and we'll talk about that in our preview show with LSU. But, Neil, it's time to give our final grades for the game. I I have a feeling which we're going to probably grade at least three of the four. But I will let you go ahead and... I guess quickly grade those out and we'll close the show. Offense gets a C. Ricky Pearsall losing a fumble that gets taken back for a touchdown is obviously terrible, but I mean, Pearsall has been one of our most consistent guys all year. Just picked a bad time to do that. Can't really get too mad at him. Um, the offense for the most part did its job. I mean, you, you score 33 in regulation, 36 total points. You should win the game. So it's a passing grade. It's not a great grade. I don't, I don't think Mertz was fantastic. The line certainly wasn't fantastic, but they were they were competent. So they'll get a C grade. Defense, 
F, that F. It is among the, the worst defensive performances, again, given the level of opposition, we're not talking about from a pure statistical standpoint, but given the level of the opponent, given the fact that their offense was so bad that they just fired their own offensive coordinator and gave a 32-year-old receivers coach the reins to the offense in his first ever game calling plays, they dropped 481 yards on you. Embarrassing, pathetic, disgusting, disgraceful. All the words you want to, to describe the, the ineptitude in this game are fair and warranted. This defense... Jordan Castell had an interception, so they'll get a, a, a point for that, I guess. Uh, they did they did bring KJ Jefferson to the ground a few times. They get credit for that. But the, the lasting image of, the, of this defense in this game is KJ Jefferson on a first and 20 in the overtime, taking off on a draw and just absolutely bodying Castell all the way like five yards back and just knocked him on his back. That's unacceptable. And it just, it encapsulated all the issues of this team from Jalen Kimber getting roasted early to the missed tackles in overtime. Castell again, responsible for that one too, on the next play um, on, uh, on, yeah, on the carry by Raheem Sanders, who Michael Dyer type situation versus Oregon 2010. You think he's down, he's on bodies, but no, he's technically not. And he gets back up and runs for 11 yards. Awful from start to finish. Just awful. Um, so yeah, like a, a six or a seven out of a hundred special teams, you get a zero, you know why? Because you lost us the game. And I'm not even talking about smacks miss. I'm talking about the ineptitude on the extra point, failing to execute a simple snap and a hold, putting us up only three where it should have been up four. And I'm talking about the fact that the entire special teams unit, the field goal unit ran onto the field. While the offense was also on the field trying to execute a simple clock, a simple grounding, just spiking the ball, stopping the clock. I don't know who was to blame for that necessarily, if that was more of a coaching decision or if the players just all didn't look for coaching. But that was the special teams. You get a zero because you directly and literally cost us the game. Trace Mack was fine. I mean, again, you can't really blame him for the first ever miss that wasn't blocked. Um, he did hit a couple field goals for us, but I mean, you can't get any worse, Chris. And it goes back to the the off season. Like part of this grade was earned in the off season where Napier didn't make a change there, despite there being a mountain of evidence that he had to make change. He didn't do it. And on that note, coaching, you get a zero because you cost us the game directly, literally. I don't know, like, I don't know how many times we can keep saying it, Chris. Like, we say it every single week. It's always something. It's it's always something with the special teams unit, whether it's running out in the field with two guys wearing the same jersey number, whether it's getting extra points blocked, field goals blocked, taking you three games to figure out that you need to replace Adam Mahalik with Trey Smack. Um, the, the penalty against Kentucky, where Dijon Johnson just decides to go flying over everyone for a leaping penalty and he gets that flagged Um Jeremy cross the punter having issues. Well, that's all right. Sorry. That, that's a special teams issue. Not a, not a coaching issue, but again, the, the blocking issues on the line. Um Again, like that goes back to the off season, the portal misses, 
Mike Mezcu has been the only decent one. Damian George hasn't worked out. Can't fault the coaching staff for Keontae, but again, just so many issues from start to finish in each game this year. I'm, I'm at a loss, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm so fed up of seeing a man in motion as valuable, precious seconds are ticking off, forcing Napier to piss away a timeout in a close game that you are going to need that timeout in later on. You're just looking like, like, like you're, you're done too. We're done with this. We're done. You like, you're going to make changes or you're going to get fired, Billy. We're, we're at that point. I can't even sit here and put together coherent thoughts on exactly what went wrong on the coaching because there's so many things as is the case every damn week every single game there is something stupid that happens because of a coaching decision because of a coaching um malpractice because you decided to take a nap at the worst possible time and didn't think properly because the play calling was bad because the route running was un uh, shall we say success, unsuccessful because the concepts are just plain lazy. It's always something. And as, as the combination of all of that from, from the, the end of the Vegas bowl, when you had your first chance to make a move with the special teams coordinator position up until now, everything that has come up to here leads me to this zero grade. You get a zero because as an on-field coach, Billy, I mean, I'll give you props for hiring Corey Raymond. Is this is this the but, worst coach game he's had? Yeah. Worse than because, Vanderbilt. Because Vanderbilt, again, like you don't you don't tell Marshall to run backwards and catch the punt in his own two-yard line. Okay. That was just Fair, a player yeah. making a bad decision. Right. But th- this again, this grade is just the totality of every stupid decision he has ever made. Going back to the Utah game in his first game. With that end of game sequence, and he almost cost us the game way up until now. The, the frustrations have boiled up and they have just brimmed over. That's what Maybe we're doing. You're going to make changes or you're, or you're done. It's that simple. You will make changes this offseason or goodbye. Well, I'm going to, yeah, I would, I would say with the offense for me, my grade is going to be. C plus they had an opportunity in the third quarter to pull away when they, I think they got the momentum in the third quarter at a halftime defense was making some stops, making some good plays and they just couldn't quite capitalize at the right time. And a lot of that I put on the coaching staff. We're not putting them in a position to capitalize. Eugene Wilson became, you know, he was missing an action in the third quarter. No Trevor Etienne was my biggest gripe. And if I think if you get the ball in those guys hands late in the game or in that third quarter, I think we get maybe another touchdown of that. And that's the difference. So I'll give them a C plus there. Defense, they're going to get an F. You give almost 500 yards to an offense who gave up. They managed to score three points versus Mississippi State two weeks ago. And I understand they fired their offense coordinator, Dan Anos. They went to Kenny Guyton, a guy who never called plays in his life, but he shredded you. Unacceptable. Flat out unacceptable. And the defense hit they over they exceeded my expectations for my key to the game i said get pressure to the quarterback we did that and actually there were times when it affected him enough he threw an interception at jordan castell we stopped some drives we could put them in third and long situations but in the critical moments they didn't make the plays and they were gashed especially late 
And that's why Arkansas was able to, every time Florida had an answer on offense, Arkansas was able to follow up with an answer late in the game. Special teams, it's pretty obvious. It's an F. Coaching, we're not going to rehash it anymore. It's an F. Oh, you think I covered it all, or did we miss a couple? How about how about this? I don't know. We I, we did forget one thing. How about the fact that we lined up for a field goal block with only ten guys out there? I mentioned you, that earlier. Talk about I that. Did, okay, I, I did mention okay. that earlier. I did mention. There, that there, there's another one. There's another one I forgot to yeah. mention. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, it's just a, overall outside of the offense. Offense scored thirty six points in this game. Great effort overall. Not good enough to get the job done though. And thus we're here today stunned trust broken with billy napier why we may not make a bowl game now and it's unfortunate but neil's right billy napier has to make changes this offseason or there's no logical conclusion that drives you to the end that he will win championships and be successful here at florida if he does not change the trajectory of his tenure with changes. So that's where we are right here. November 5th sitting here five and four now reeling from the loss to Arkansas with three games to go all against ranked opponents. We will see where we, what we can do, but I think at this point, as we leave you tonight on this show, a lot of Gator nation is pretty broken, pretty upset from the loss on Saturday. Chris, let's let, let's let's end the show by me re-asking something in a different way. Is and and you can define what the, what the term means to you, but is yeah. Billy Napier on the hot seat? Yes. Define hot seat. What does that mean to you? He has given us results that would put him in a position where he could be fired if he does not improve. When? Because that people are going to hear that and think that you mean yeah. like tomorrow. So I think he, he's on the hot seat going into year three. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. <clears throat> I think if he, if he pulls a miracle and he wins two of the next three, I think he can coach himself off it and just make sure that that distinction. Yes, I would agree with that. Actually, I would agree with that. That's if there's anything that he can do right now, to he still needs to make like it doesn't matter if he wins out and goes eight and four he still needs to make changes this offseason everything we're saying here tonight right. new offensive coordinator special teams coordinator on field offensive line, two offensive line coaches reshuffling your staff closing strong on the recruiting trail all of that does not matter like you all that matters you still have to do that regardless of if you go eight and four and blast lsu into the sun next saturday night it doesn't matter you have to make changes but it, and it, but winning, like you said, two of the next three would certainly, I think, cool it. And it would get me how I talked about, I'm like at 49 now on your zero to 100 scale. That would get me back closer to where like I'd be in the 70, closer to the upper 60s, probably. Like it would go up. If he wins, if he gets to a bowl game, he wins one of the next three. I'd say he puts me, he, he's squarely in the 50s and his seat is warm, but not hot. If he makes a bowl game. With one win, his seat is warm but not hot. If he wins two of the next three, I'd say he's off it going into year three. So here's how I'll frame it. I will say that Billy Napier is on the hot seat. He is not 
on a seat that is currently engulfed in flames. Like the seat is not on fire on like seat on fire means you win the next game and then go in for the next five or you're gone. No room, no room for discussion, no margin for error. I don't want to hear sob stories about injuries. No, you do this or that, or you're done. No, he's not there. He's on the hot seat, which means you are now in a position where you have to win some games where you are not expected to win. You have to win more games than I think than, than Vegas predicts you to win. And frankly, the fan base expects you to win. You have to pull some upsets now, whether that's this season or if, if that means going to Austin, Texas and pulling a shocker there, or if that means hell, you know, going six and zero to start next season, um, maybe the schedule is is easy loaded at the front. Like maybe you get Kentucky and Mississippi State in the first month and maybe Tennessee turns out to be bad and you beat them two on the road or something. Like you have to put yourself in a position where your team is exceeding the expectation and the goals of the fan base or else you won't make it. If you just keep treading water, playing par, not good enough because you've put yourself in that situation by losing this game. Absolutely. And it sucks because we want you to succeed, Billy, but you got it. I mean, again, likability is not a substitute for wins. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I think that about does it for tonight's show. We want to thank all of you for tuning in tonight. I know it was a very passionate, uh, filled episode. And certainly Neil and I are, are, are not happy about this. And we, I think we're channeling the energy of a lot of what Gator Nation is feeling right now. So please, down below, leave a comment, or if you're listening in audio form, leave a comment, review there, how you're feeling right now, how you're feeling about Billy Napier, how you're feeling about the future of the Gator football program after this loss to Arkansas, and give us whether or not you think he's going to get the job done. So, 0 to 100, down at the bottom, tell us how you're feeling about Billy Napier. Make sure to like, rate, review the show, and subscribe if you already haven't here on YouTube. We really thank all of our fans for the great support they've shown us over the last week and this season, and we hope that you continue to come to us as a trusted voice here in Gator Nation to bring you all things Gator News related. Well, for the last thing, real quick, when you leave those comments, fans, Gator Nation, if you would, please let us know where you sat on that 0-100 to scale before Arkansas and where you sit now. I'm very interested to see where or how that shift has gone. Good point. It's a really good point. So yeah, like Neil said, leave that down there. Comment, like, rate, review the show in audio form. Make sure you subscribe. Podcast here and on YouTube if you already have not. So from all of us here at the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, have a great night and go Gators. Gators.